1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know, it reminds me, the chapter, the subject matter of a joke a Nashville tour guide told us one time. We were on this Nashville ducks or duck tour. Uh, maybe you've been on a duck tour. They take you on the duck boat from World War II, and it, both, it's an amphibious vehicle. It goes on land and, and on sea. It's not like the duck tour in Seattle. That one's cool. The one in, in uh, Nashville, not so much, but... Um, at any rate, we went on this duck tour. This guy tells a joke. He says, we keep going, you know, through the city of Nashville, and he's showing us all these places, and, and he keeps pointing out chickens and cows. You know, every time he gets into a section, he says, you'll notice the brown chickens. And then we go a little bit farther. He says, well, you notice the brown cows. And I'm like, where is this guy going with this? And finally, he says, you know, yeah, we have a lot of brown chickens and a lot of brown cows. And, and you know what you get when you, when you get a brown chicken and a brown cow together, don't you? Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, in the same way, do you know what you get when you mix the, the biblical principles of sex with a husband and wife in marriage? Yeah, bound chicken, bound, bound. No, you get... <laughs> You get the fun back in fundamentalism. That's what you get, all right? I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about sex, and it is, well, I mean, God made the human body. It's not like he designed you. It's not like he designed Adam and Eve and, and went away, you know, to get a sandwich or something and came back and went, oh my gosh, what are they doing? You know, he made the human body. He made us and designed us as sexual beings. And so, you know, we just need to get over that and understand that that's the way it is. Now, by a show of hands, can I just see how many of you are married here today? Can I see a show of hands? Yeah, see the vast majority. Uh, statistically, nine out of 10 people will get married. So welcome. Again, show of hands. If you're single here today, hoping to get married someday, can I see, can I see your hand? Just hold your hand. Be brave. If you're single, just hold your hand up. Now keep them up. Now look around. Look around. Okay, you're welcome, all right? I gave you a start, so there you go. All right, there's two main themes of chapter seven. The first theme is, in, is the principles of marriage as it relates to sex, okay? Uh, that's verses one through nine. That's the section we're gonna focus on today. Second section is the priority of marriage as it relates to fidelity and not getting divorced, and we're gonna cover that next week. We left off last week, Paul's addressing the subject of sexual immorality, and as we've well established, Corinth, a very pagan place, very immoral city, rampant promiscuity, and uh, that Im immorality that was in the culture had worked its way into the church. And as people were getting saved, they're bringing this confusion into the church. They, they, they have questions about sex, questions about lifestyle, questions you know, about personal freedoms and so. And so Paul writes this letter to untie their moral and their theological knots. And in 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 5, verse 9, we discovered there that Paul had previously written to the Corinthians. We call this 1 Corinthians, and it's actually technically not. He had actually written a previous letter to them. That has been lost to history. We don't have this, so we call this book 1 Corinthians, but there was a letter that preceded this, at least one letter that preceded this. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 9, uh, Paul makes mention of the fact that he wrote to them and he and tells us there that they in this letter that he had previously written to them that they were not to keep company with sexually immoral people. 
And, and so evidently, the, uh, the, the Corinthians had written back to Paul uh, seeking some clarification. Um, and, and in effect, what they said uh, in their, their confusion over this, this former letter that, that Paul sent, basically what they said in reply was, all right, Paul, so what we hear you saying is that all sex is bad. That's what we got from your last letter. Uh, and this is what Paul seems to be responding to here as we pick it up in verse 1. Paul says this, Now, concerning the things of which you wrote me. He wrote them a letter. They wrote back. Okay, so we hear you saying all sex is bad. So he says, Now, concerning those things that you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, when Paul writes this back, he uses this word touch, and the word literally uh, means uh, to kindle, as in to kindle a fire. It's a sexual metaphor. And so what Paul is saying, he's implying a sexual content, and so Paul basically says, look, it's good for a man not to sexually touch a woman. Yes, that much is true. And of course, he's referring to an unmarried single man. It's not good, or it, it, it is good for an unmarried single man not to be involved sexually with a woman. He clarifies that point. He continues in verse 2 and he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. This is the answer to the biological question that ticks in every person who is breathing and has a pulse. I have sexual desires. What do I do with those? Well, the world says, hey, you got sexual desires. If it feels good, do it. Knock yourself out. Just practice safe sex and have at it. But the Bible calls that fornication. As a matter of fact, when Paul says in verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, literally in the Greek, what he says is, uh, nevertheless, to avoid fornication. That's what he says. To avoid sexual sin by being engaged in, in sex outside of marriage. This is what Paul talks about. Nevertheless, you know, you, uh, that uh, because of that, let a man have his own wife. See, what Paul says is, look, it's normal to have sexual urges, but if you're going to gratify those urges in a way that honors God, here's the answer, get married. Get married. You know, you, you walk with Jesus, you put your big boy pants on, you go out and get a job, you, you, you take steps so that you can support a wife, and, and you meet a gal who loves the Lord, you date, you get pre-marriage counseling, uh, and, you know, you go, you get married, you make a home, uh, you enjoy one another and all that that implies, and you stay faithful and you stay pure. That's the biblical model here. And there's a lot we could say about that. Um, you know, the, I, I talk with young men all the time. Man, I want a wife. Great. What are you doing to, to get a wife? Well, I'm looking. Wrong answer. Because your life's a train wreck, my friend. I mean, if I had a daughter and you wanted to date it, well, I have two daughters, but they're married, they're taken. But if I had a single daughter and you came courting, answer's no, go get a job. You know, go get your life in order because I'm not giving my daughter to you in marriage. And, and maybe, you know, in my notes, maybe it's a, a word for some of you young men out there. You want a wife. Are you ready to have a wife? That's, that's a good question to ask. Well, I got sexual urges. Great. Go get a job. Channel your energy into something that prepares you to support a wife. And can I, ladies, can I get an amen? You know, you go, you see a guy and you think, man, he's the one. If he's unemployed, he ain't the one. Go get a job, Jack. Go to school. Get your degree, whatever it takes. So, 
it, Paul says, hey, look, if you have desires, get married. That's, that's, that's a good thing. Now, verse 3. Now, it gets good. It says, verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Now, if you're a note taker, that word affection is very telling. It's the word benevolence. And, uh, and here's what it speaks of. It speaks of doing that which benefits the other person. Do benevolence. Husbands to render to his wife due benevolence, that which benefits her. We get people, they come into the office. They, they say, hey, we're, you know, we're down on our luck and we need groceries. And we say, all right, let's, let's go get you some food. So you know, we go down and we get them some food. Now, bear with me on this. We don't get anything out of the deal. I mean, for our part, it's our checkbook goes down, right? Now, of course, you know, the Bible says that we're to prefer others before ourselves, we're to help those who are in need, and that we're to, to, to give as unto the Lord, and all of these things. So, of course, we, we get something from this because we're honoring God. But just from a, a pure transaction, just you look at the black and white transaction, it costs us and they benefit. That's benevolence. Right? And so when we talk about this issue of the husband rendering to his wife due benevolence, what it means, guys, is that it costs you something in order to benefit them. In other words, the focus isn't on you. The focus is on them. Ladies, can I get an amen? You're like, yes, that sounds good to me. See, the, the context here is in the sexual relationship, but of course it applies across the board. In fact, Paul's going to say when we get to verse 33, hopefully next week, that you, know, you really need to think long and hard about getting married because when you get married, this is going to be your consideration. You have to constantly be thinking about how can I give to my wife? How can I take care of my wife? How can I benefit my wife? And so this is, this is a concern. But the big idea here in verse 3 is the sexual relationship. And Paul says that husbands are to focus on what pleases their wife. Now, men, what's the implication of this? The implication is, is that you have to know and understand what pleases your wife. I'll put a scripture up on the board. It's 1 Peter 3, 7. says this, Likewise, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, leave that up there for just a second. I want you guys to, uh, to take note of uh, that word understanding. Dwell with your wives with understanding. Um, in the Greek, this word is gnosko. Here's what it means. It means to learn to know and discover, to understand, to become acquainted with, to grow together in relational knowledge. Here's the idea. Here's the get. It's a type of understanding that takes time and effort, men. Okay? It takes time and effort to really know and to understand your wife. And, you know, by the way, when the Bible uses this word gnosko, to, and, and the Bible refers to a man knowing his wife using this word, the, the inference is sexually, okay? When a man knows his wife, you're to know her. And, and so here's the question, and this is a take-home question for you guys, and I don't just want you to gloss over it. It really is something I'd like you actually for homework to kind of take a walk with this week. The idea is this. Do you understand your wife? 
Do you understand her? Do you know what makes her tick? Do you understand what she considers to be affection? That's the big thing. Because I know what you consider to be affection, but is what you consider to be affection what your wife considers to be affection? And all, all of your wives are saying, that's great. I can't wait for him to ask me that question. I can't wait for him to share what I consider to be affection. And that's the important thing. What does your wife consider affection? And, and do you know it? Do you understand it? Now, let me say this. I got to tiptoe out here just as carefully as I can. All right? And I want to be very sensitive, very careful, very tactful. We're talking about the issue of sex. All right? Now, for men, sex is all about the act, okay? So when you think affection, you're thinking about the act. And what you need to understand, just the way women are wired and the way that they tick, for them, sex starts long before the act, okay? You just need to understand that. I was watching the television show uh, Survivor Man, I love, I love the shows. There's Survivor Man, there's Man vs. Wild, there's Man and Woman vs. Wild, there's Dual Survival, and I watch them all. I love those shows, right? Real man shows. And so I'm watching Survivor Man, and the guy, uh, Les Stroud is the, is the guy. He goes out and he survives in these rugged situations, and he's trying to make a fire, okay? And so he's, he's got this device that he's made. It's called a fire plow where you take a piece of wood and you sort of, with a knife, notch out a, a, a channel, a small channel, and at the bottom of that, you, you place some tinder. And you sort of put it at an angle, so the tinder sort of is a downward angle, and, and you get a, a piece of wood, and then through friction, you, you work that wood back and forth in that channel to build up friction so that a, a hot ember will roll down the channel, hit the, the, uh, the little you know, pile of, of stuff there, and you, you know, get your fire that way. Now, as I'm watching this, ironically, I'm in my, my family room, and, I, and I'm starting a fire in my fireplace, okay? Now, my fireplace in my family room is a switch. You flip a switch, it goes on. It's awesome. I love it, right? So I'm watching. I'm laughing about this guy trying to start fire, and there he is. He's just killing himself, just working himself into a frenzy, trying to start this fire, and for me, it's a switch. All right, here's, here's the point. Guys are that switch, Okay? I mean, you could be changing the oil in your car and your wife could say, hey, honey, and you're like, yep, let's go. I mean, the car could be on jacks, you know, you could have whatever. Okay, you're that switch. Fire's going, let's go. Your wife, on the other hand, she's a little bit more like the fire plow, okay? She requires a lot of forethought, a lot of attention. You know, it's, it's, it's not the same. It's not a switch, Here's what that means, guys. And again, I want to be very tactful. The first thing that you do is you understand and you accept the fact that for our wives, affection, what they consider to be affection, husband giving to his wife the affection that's due her, it's more than the act itself. Uh, It involves foreign languages for men. Cuddling, courtship, romance, uh, conversation, sorry, I, I, I had to go there. But it involves all of these things. Ladies, am I right? Yeah. Right, okay. So, so when you're going to render to your wife the affection due her, it's not what you might think, men. It's all of these things. 
And you have to give them this focus and this attention. Now, again, very carefully, it also involves, how can I put this, that you are familiar with the terrain, okay? Um, (laughs) Now, God help me. Before I was a Christian, I had, you guys know, um, I, I had a warped sense of, of what being familiar with the terrain meant. Um, I thought that, you know, if, if, a, if a guy or a gal were going to have any sort of, you know, sexual prowess, any sort of, of skill, that they w- there, there needed to be a level of experience. There needed to be, you know, sort of some, some past experiences. And, and, and I, I had this, this absolute satanic attitude that I would never marry anybody that I hadn't slept with because how would I know whether or not they were good in bed? And I want to tell you guys, that is, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It really is. Because here's the truth. The truth is, is that your sex life and knowing the terrain is a result of communication between you and your spouse. And so this is something to where, you know, there needs to be just very loving, very careful communication between a husband and a wife. Now, many of you are uncomfortable with this. Just flat out. I mean, just, I'm uncomfortable with this, right? Just talking about it. We're uncomfortable. And, and here's what I would say to you. My counsel would you is, to you would be, read the Song of Solomon. Because what you see as you, as you read through the Song of Solomon, it, it, see there how it depicts a, a bride in her sexual relationship with her groom. And you see that she speaks first, she speaks op- often, she speaks openly, she speaks freely with her groom, and she's very specific with her husband. And, and ladies, let me just tell you, guys don't know Jack. They don't, all right? And, and, I, and I, I mean, I've, been, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I've been counseling, most of the you know, counseling I do, 95% easily of the counseling I do is, is marriage counseling. So lots of years, I mean, I've been, I've been married 26 years, going on 27 years. And so, you know, I get this, I understand this, and, and a lot of women think, well, he should just know. He doesn't know. I'm just telling you, he doesn't know. So what, what you need to do is, is you need to tell him. And you need to use a lot of verbs, you know? <laughs> All right, you just need to tell him. Now, a lot of women at this point, they're really uncomfortable. They're like, you know, if I, I, my mom didn't raise me that way. He's going to think I'm a sex object. He better. No, I'm serious. He better. Because here's the thing. God created you as sexual beings. Somebody's going to be a sex object for your husband. It better be his God-given wife is, is my point. And so the, the idea is you better hope, you better understand, you better work on, listen, I am going to be connected with you, my husband, and I'm going to communicate with you, and you are going to communicate with me. And, and women at this point, another objection when we have this very difficult and delicate discussion is to say, you know, he never listens to me. Trust me, 
He will listen to you on this subject. He will be taking notes. He'll be making graphs. He will be, you will, you will have his undivided attention. He'll be the best student that you ever, you ever met. All right, enough on that. Moving on, continuing in verse three, Paul says, let the husbands render to the wife the affection due her and hey, look at that, a bonus. Likewise, also the wife to her husband. Now, what does that mean? It means what every dude in this room hopes it means. That's what it means. What you were hoping that means, that's what it means. Now, this means that just as the husbands are to know their wives and what makes their wives tick, so too the wives are to know what makes their husbands tick. And I know, ladies, what you're thinking. You're thinking, where do we draw the line? Because I'm married to a freak, and I know you are. And what if what makes him tick makes me sick? That's what I want to know, right? You're all thinking that. Hebrews 13.4, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Write this verse down, Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept, what's the word? Pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. All right? You need to ask, is what you and I are discussing as husband and wife in our bedroom, is it honorable, is it pure, or is it immoral? That's the discussion. Is it honorable and pure, or is it immoral? Well, you say, well, who decides that? Well, you decide it together along with the counsel of God. You, as husband and wife, need to decide together what is honorable, what is pure, and what's immoral. If it's unbiblical, it's not honorable and pure. If it's unkind, it's not honorable and pure. If it's demanding, it's not honorable and pure. And with that thought in mind, just turn forward a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. There's a lot of euphemisms used for sex. One of the euphemisms that's used for sex is making love. And, uh, and I think <clears throat> that's a fair enough uh, euphemism or label for it. And with that in mind, the, the idea is that, is that the, 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 the process and the act of sex is supposed to be an act of love between husband and wife. And so with that in mind, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now pay attention. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so the idea as husband and wife is that 
arguably anything that we would discuss, anything that we would agree to, if it's not in harmony with the verses that we've just read, then it's not honorable and it's not pure. And so, you know, it's not an exacting guide. It's, it's just that rough guideline that says, is it honorable? Is it pure? Then it's pleasing to God. And so you, your husband and your wife, you together, you decide what fits in these guidelines, what fits in these categories, what fits for us. Now, back in chapter 7, Paul continues with this thought in verse 4. And he says there, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, what exactly does this mean? Well, ladies, when he says, I'd like to have sex with you, what are you going to be doing? Well, Within reason, it means that you're going to be having sex with your husband. That's what that verse means. Because your husband has a verse, a Bible verse, to base this on. He's got 1 Corinthians 7, 4. He has a verse. Now you ask, well, wait, is there, is there a balance to that? Yeah, of course there's a balance to that. The first balance is found in the, in the, in the very next sentence. The first sentence says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. So he says, honey, I want to have sex. You say... Okay, I guess this is what we're doing. That's his verse. But, you know, where's the balance? Well, the next, next sentence. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. So just as your body belongs to your husband's ladies, that means your husband's body belongs to you. And again, guys, what does that mean? That means when your wife says, I want to cuddle, what are you doing? You're... Again, within reason, it means you're cuddling. Because she's got a verse, right? Your wife has a verse too. Hey, your body belongs to me, and I want your body to, to, to cuddle with me. That's my body. Sit it down. Hold my hand. Be my friend. Talk to me, right? I guarantee you my wife is going to be using these verses on me this week. Hey, 1 Corinthians 7, 4, come sit down. Talk to me. Now, another balance, because you're saying, well, where's the balance in this? Another balance is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn over there real quick, if you will, to the right. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read through the verses and then uh, just briefly uh, comment on them. We read through these verses at every wedding ceremony that I, that I officiate and, uh, and basically do it up front and tell the husband and wife, you, you agree to this, do you understand this? This is, this is the commitment that you're making Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's good enough. We can just leave it there. No, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You say, I don't like that. Well, it's God's word, and that's the way that he's made it, but there's also a balance. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any other such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, marriage is designed to reflect Jesus and his bride, the church. And just as Jesus gave his life for the church, husbands, we are to give our lives for our brides. Jesus gave his life for his bride, the church, we're to give our lives for our brides as well. And just as the church, the bride of Christ, is to be subject to Jesus and give herself to him, so too wives are to give themselves to their husbands. There's a loving balance that's there, and this is by God's design. Now, another important aspect, turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Uh, Another important aspect to this idea that my wife's body belongs to me and my body belongs to her, we read in verse 5 where it says this, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Now again, he's still on the context and on the subject of, of sexual relations between a husband and a wife. So he says, do not deprive one another except with consent, that's consent between the two of you, for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Very important point. You need to hear this. In God's heart, sex is on a much higher level than merely the husband's privilege and the wife's duty. In God's design, it's on a much higher level. You see, sex serves many sacred purposes. We touched on this last week, and if you missed last week, I would strongly encourage you to listen to the message online. It talks about sexual sin and sex outside of marriage and God's purposes for sex and and how we have have so abused that in our society and our, our attitudes about sex. But sex serves many sacred purposes. One of the things is that it bonds a husband and wife. And what we, what we talked about last week was how the sexual relationship of a husband and wife, it's designed by God to bond you together. And what happens is when, when you abuse that and, you, and you're involved sexually outside of marriage, it's no longer this bonding agent between a husband and wife, but it becomes a binding agent in that it enslaves you. And so sex, by God's design, within the context of a marriage, it serves to bond a husband and a wife together. Um, It brings oneness to the marriage. It brings a unity to the marriage. Sex also serves in that it it blesses us with children. Um, But God also gives us sex to protect us, and that's what this verse is all about. God gives us sex to protect us. You see, with that protection in mind, I want you to notice the word deprive that Paul uses here in verse 5. He says, do not deprive 
one another. Very interesting word. It literally means to defraud or to cheat. It means to defraud or to cheat. You see, what happens, guys and and, and gals, and you listen carefully, if we deny physical affection and sexual intimacy to our spouse, we are defrauding them and we're cheating them. And here's why. Because they are bound by marriage to you. And so if you defraud or cheat your spouse in this area, it is defrauding and it is cheating because the only way that they can satisfy their sexual urges, which are, which are God-given by God design, is in the context of your marriage relationship. That's the only way they can honor God. Otherwise, what you've done is you've defrauded them. You, you, you have stolen something from them. There, there is, there's no other place, no other realm where they can be engaged in sexual activity that can bring glory and honor to God. And so if that is deprived, it defrauds and it cheats them. That's why Paul said back in verse 3 that we're to render the affection due. That word due, the literal idea is a debt that is owed. That's God's words, not my words. And it's a debt that's owed because you're the only one that can pay it. You're the only one that can pay it. And likewise, them to you. See, here's what I want you to hear. Sex isn't a reward for good behavior. It's, it's not a barter system. It's none of those things. On the contrary, it's something that God says that we owe to one another. Why? Well, because it's that bonding agent. It only works in marriage. Your marriage is the only place where sex can be fulfilled glorifying God. And the key, again, is, and Paul makes it here in verse 5, is that when we deny one another, Paul says we open the door to Satan. We open the door to Satan's temptations. We open the door to Satan's influence. And listen, we open the door for Satan to divide the marriage. And oftentimes we don't think in our selfishness when we say, not tonight, I've got a headache, and no, and it's a constant no, no, no. And we have the, the unhealthy idea about sex. We don't realize that we're getting Satan a foothold in our marriage, but I'm telling you, as a guy who's been counseling people for almost 20 years, this is exactly how it works. This is very important stuff. And it works both for sex and romance. Man, you need to hear this. I mean, this isn't some guy talking down to all the women saying, hey, listen, you know, you need to to be more sexually active. I'm telling you, you that you men... What I'm seeing from my perspective is a lot of women who are entering into unfaithfulness, whether, you know, online Facebook or online chatting or whatever, because they find somebody else who's willing, listen, to render the affection that's due them that you won't. Somebody else is telling them what you should be telling them. And and it leads to divorce. It leads to satanic influence in the marriage relationship. And you need to hear that this is very very important. Now, at this point, some of you might be asking some questions. You're like, wait a minute. What if I have a good reason to deny sex? Because some of you might have some good reasons to say no. My husband treats me shamefully. The things that he says to me, the way he treats me, it's abusive. He's only interested in me when he wants sex. Are you saying I have to be a doormat? Are you saying I have to to be treated 
the way that, that he treats me? Are you saying that, that I have to be abused the way he's abusive to me? I'm not saying that. You might say, well, my spouse was unfaithful. And, you know, even though, you know, that I, I understand biblically there's unfaithful, we could get a divorce. I understand that's, that's an a, a, a avenue that God makes available to me. We together, we've decided to work through this. But, but right now, man, I'm not ready. You know, it, it's very painful and we're working through this. Or you might say, you know what, I was, I was abused when I was younger. And, you know, sex is difficult and it's painful for me. What do you say about that? And Paul addresses that here in verse 5. He says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. And so the, the idea here is that, and I would submit that if you have one of these reasons for denying sex at this time, I would, I would say that this probably, I would submit that those are good reasons to fast and pray. And again, I would say this, I would say the goal is to, to come together again as husband and wife in, in a sexual fashion. You can't just say, you know what, that happened and so that's not a part of our life anymore. That's not what the text says. That's not what God says. That's not healthy for your marriage. But it is appropriate to say, you know what? Right now, we need to agree that we need to pray, that we need to fast, that we need to not engage in this activity because there has been this wounding. There has been this damage. And we need to address that. We need to deal with that. And take note that that he's saying you need to deal with it in a spiritual way. There's been a spiritual wronging. There needs to be a spiritual healing. And that's what, what he's saying. And, and I would say a couple of things about this. I would say, number one, make sure that you're doing that. Make sure that you're agreeing together. Yes, it's best for us right now to abstain. Make sure that you're fasting together. Hey, we need to, to fast over this. I heard one teacher say this. He's like, I always take people to, to that area and I say, okay, that's fine. You can abstain from sex just so long as you, you can abstain from food. And I, and I won't take that extreme approach, but I will say that the, the, he does say to fast and pray. And so if you're going to fast and pray, that you agree together. Hey, we're going to fast together over this. We're going to pray together over this. And I would add this, and, and this is very important. Some of you need to hear this today. And so please hear me. I would add that, that some of you need to seek counsel for this. That, it, that, it, that there is something there that you need to sort through. And, and let me just tell you that we have people available for you. Our pastors are available to counsel with you. Ladies, if you have some type of abuse in your past, we have women who have been through what you've been through. And they are available to sit and to counsel with you. And, and we have a network of trained professionals that we would be more than happy to refer you to if you need some sort of ongoing help, and many do. And so I would say that if, if you've been through some type of abuse, some, some sort of, of, of wronging in your past that has, has very much interfered with your sex life, that for sure you need to seek counsel and perhaps long-term counsel. And you need to be following through with that. Here's why, and I want you to hear this. This is, really, this is really the heart. And I want you to hear this. This is based on a guy who's been married for 26 years and a guy who's been counseling a lot of marriages for a lot of years, okay? I want you to hear this. 
You need to understand, and, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. If your sex life is broken and you don't work to fix it, your marriage will be broken. I'm telling you that. It's because some people think, you know what, okay, and it's not a big deal to me, so it ought to not be a big deal to, to them, and they need to get over it. It doesn't work that way. And God hasn't designed it that way. And so I just tell you with as much love as I possibly can, you can't just sweep that under the rug. You have to deal with it. It's very important that you deal with it. Paul continues, uh, verse 6. He says, but I say this. What does he say? Well, this is the last five verses that, that he said. I say this, the, all that we've just talked about, as a concession, not as a commandment. Now, that, that can give you the wrong idea if you don't understand that word concession. Literally, what that word means is permission. So what Paul is saying is this. He said, look, I, I'm saying this as permission, but it's not a commandment. You know, in, in other words, hey, look, if, if you want to be single your whole life and you can honor God, knock yourself out, that's cool. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. If God's called you to singleness, Paul's going to say, that's a gift. And some of you married men go, yep, that's a gift. No, I don't mean it that way. But, but singleness is a gift for some. And Paul's saying, hey, look, if that's you, then you're not commanded to get married. You say, well, whoa, what about the commandment? Be fruitful and multiply. Yes, that is God's commandment. And nine out of ten people get married. And so that commandment is being fulfilled. But it's not universal. The Jews made this mistake. They, they said that there was a list of things that they said that would doom you to hell. And one of the things was not being married. And another thing was not having children. And of course, neither of those is true. So this is, Paul says, hey, listen, I, I'm saying this. You've got permission to stay single. You've got permission to get married. Just, just understand that if you're going to be sexually active, it has to be in the context of marriage. Just so we're clear. He goes on, verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. Now, what was Paul? Well, Paul was single. Now, we, we know and, and have a reasonable suspicion that he was married previously. One of the reasons we know that was because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. And so we don't know what happened to Paul's wife. It's not recorded in the scriptures. Church history says that uh, he, he had a wife, he kept a wife, and he basically, you know, went off on the mission field. Some in church history think that Paul's wife left him when he converted to Christianity. Again, it's all speculation. We really don't know. All we do know is that at the time of this writing, she's no longer living, and Paul is a single man. But he says, For I wish that all men were even as myself... But each one has his own gift from God, one in this uh, manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried, verse 8, and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. What's he mean by that? We'll look at that next week. Verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, and this sums up everything that he said in these nine verses, if, they, if the single people cannot exercise self-control sexually, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Very important issue for Christian men and women to understand, to embrace, and to take a walk with what this means and what, what it means to have uh, a healthy sexual relationship. I close with a story, a final application. We'll partake of communion together. A father uh, took his young son 
to go see a new, leader, new litter of kittens that a neighbor's cat had had. And uh, so they went to the house and they came back and this young son ran in the house and he told his mom, they, there, were, there, were three, there were three kittens, there were two boys and there was one girl. And his mom amusedly asked the, the, the young man, she said, well, how do you know that they were boys and girls? And the boy said, well, daddy picked them up and he looked on their belly. I think it's written on their belly. And I would say that for many people, their attitude about sex is that they follow what's written on their belly. They follow what's written in their gut. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And I would say to you, not when it comes to the area of sex in your marriage, don't follow your gut because your gut will lie to you and your gut will lead you astray. You have to follow not what's written in your gut, but you got to follow what's written in God's word. He's been very clear whether you like it or not, it is God's word. And so my prayer for you as your pastor is that you would take these words to heart that you would work on this area in your marriage, especially if you're not healthy in this area, and that you would allow God, through this design in you, that you'd allow him to complete you. Amen?